0: Oh, how good it is to just just know that at this season of the year, we can even extend our Christmas season. Did anybody here yet put up a Christmas tree? Ah, Linda and I did, just this week. It's okay. It's okay to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ just as long as we can. I'd say as soon as you see it in a store, it should be in your house. And you ought to say, and this is what it's really about. This is what it's really about. So here at the church we do, and for the last year, this is the second year, I've uh, chosen a series of messages that take us through two months instead of just uh, one month and four weeks. So uh, let's bow and ask God to really speak to our hearts through this one today. Our Heavenly Father, the word I hold in my hand is a, is a dynamic thing. The Holy Spirit tells us it's living and powerful. It's hard to keep the words inside the covers of this book. And so, Father, when I open it in just a second, I pray that the words will just spill out into the air. That your Holy Spirit will just allow them to land and settle in our hearts and our minds. And we would go home today knowing that we have heard a word from the living God that's going to affect us this day, this week, and through this season of the year especially. So this we ask now. For the sake of Jesus' church, we ask you in his name that this might happen. Amen. Now last week, we did launch a brand new Christmas series uh, with uh, the announcement of this year's Christmas Season Sermon Series. Say that four times fast. This Christmas season sermon series that we entitled, The Promise of the Ages. Beautiful picture there that Linda's put together. The Promise of the Ages. And who did we say last week the promise of the ages is? Jesus Christ. Let's try that again so we're all on one page and, and know you participated this morning. Who did we say last week the promise of the ages is? Yes. Indeed, he is. And so in a single touch-all-the-bases kind of phrase, we said last week, Jesus is the promise of something better. Something better for mankind and for this world. And during this Christmas season, we're going to focus upon eight of those better things. Eight great promises of God the Father that have been or will be or that are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ right now. Last week we focused our attention upon the very first one, the one God gave in the Garden of Eden, following right on the heels of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. They had been deceived and their perfect life forever altered by the one who desires to destroy all the works of God, Satan himself. God could not undo what they had done. Their willful rebellion cost them life in the garden. Their willful rebellion caused God to put a curse upon the earth and establish a limit to their earthly life. Their willful rebellion allowed Satan an entrance into their hearts. His voice would forever be one that they would find tantalizing. He would need to be contended with until their dying day. In the context of that realization, God gave a promise. The first of the eight we're going to talk about. God promised that he would one day send a devil destroyer. And he promised that the day would come when Satan would be completely removed from the realm of men. And in time, thousands of years of time, but in time, Jesus came in fulfillment of that promise. While he was on earth, he destroyed the works of the devil at every opportunity. He freed people from demon possession, and he identified for people the inroads that the devil had made in their lives and their nation. He made them aware of Satan's presence and practice. And after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit into the world in a kind of direct attack upon Satan's kingdom, which the Bible calls the dominion of darkness. Through the miracle of the new birth, the Holy Spirit rescues us from that dominion of darkness, and he brings us, Paul said in Colossians 1, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Now, by doing so, he frees us from Satan's control, and he destroys a great bit of Satan's work in this fallen world. Now, eventually, there will come a day when the story of this old earth reaches its final chapter with the Son of God himself casting Satan into the lake of fire, where he and all associated with him will be tormented forever. Final destruction will be achieved, and a new heaven and a new earth will come into being. And so promise one will be fulfilled. Jesus Christ, the promise of the ages, is indeed a devil destroyer. Now today we come to the second. The second of those eight great promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's identify it and then examine it together. And it's stated right here on the gift tag, on this promise box right here, and it says, the promise of the ages, promise to, Genesis 22, 8, God himself will provide the lamb and he will be a perfect sacrifice. That's the promise. That promise was not spoken out loud to begin with. That promise was whispered into Abraham's heart long centuries after that first promise was uttered in the garden. You see, Abraham said these words, God himself will provide the lamb. God had whispered that truth into Abraham's heart, and when the time came, Abraham uttered those words, it'll happen. God himself will provide the lamb. Now, just a little background. Getting us up to the point where Abraham made that statement actually to his son, Isaac. Adam and Eve's sin did not just mess up their own lives. Their fallen sinful nature was passed along to their children and to their children's children. The devil was most effective in corrupting mankind in the ancient world. The world became a violent and ugly place. Story told in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. Finally, God acted in judgment and the great flood of Noah destroyed all of humanity, except for Noah and his small family. Human society started all over again. Men and women were scattered all over the earth. Distinct nations and languages came into being. False religions, though, arose, and the purity of worship of the one true God was pretty difficult to find. Perhaps 2,000 years have passed when God intervenes. God intervenes in this once again fallen and sinful world, he intervenes to call out a people for himself. A people, a nation that would be distinct from all the other people on earth. He began this revolutionary work by calling the man Abram, who lived among some of those pagan people. And God said to Abram, later called Abraham, that he would make of Abram a great nation, a brand new nation. Didn't exist before. A nation that would be uniquely God's nation in the midst of a world of people that uh, did not really follow God at all. This would be a nation, though, that would subsequently be a source of blessing for all nations on earth. Abram believed God. And that greatly pleased God. God changed his name to Abraham, signifying that he would become the father of nations. Now, Abraham on several occasions offered sacrifices of praise and worship to God. He honored the God who had spoken to him, and he followed the leading of the Lord into a brand new land far from the place where he had been born. God provided Abraham and his wife Sarah a baby boy, an heir to carry on the family line, an heir that Abraham had thought would never come, for he and Sarah were well past childbearing years when it finally happened. God named the boy. God named him Isaac, and he was a true delight to them. However, Some years later, when Isaac was perhaps an older teen or maybe a a young adult, God gave Abraham what you see today I'm calling an incredible instruction. An incredible instruction. It's recorded in Genesis 22. God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, the one whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. An offering to God. An offering of worship just like any other burnt offering would be acknowledging the presence and the greatness and the power of God and the fact that he is the one who oversees our lives and by whose grace we live. Offer a sacrifice, but make that sacrifice your son, Isaac. And the Bible tells us Abraham obeyed that incredible instruction. He took Isaac. And he traveled to the mountain as God directed him. He built an altar. He laid the wood on the altar. And the young man, Isaac, asked the obvious question. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the offering? And then with all the confidence he could muster in the God who had called him, the God who had even designated in the scriptures Abraham as the friend of God, Abraham gave to his son today's incredible promise. The altar's built. The wood's on the altar. The fire has been carefully carried to the place. And Abraham says, with regard to the Sacrifice, God Himself will provide the lamb. And we add, He will be a perfect sacrifice. He will be a perfect sacrifice. And God did. Abraham even went so far as to put his own son on that wood, on that altar, and bound him there, lest his struggle with the flames, he would have jumped off. He bound him to that altar. And he raised the knife. And just as Abraham was poised to strike his son, an angel of the Lord stayed his hand and directed Abraham's gaze over there to the thicket. There in the thicket was a ram, a full grown sheep with horns, and his horns had caught him in the thicket. Oh, I tell you what joy! What joy must have filled Abraham's heart as he prepared that ram for the burnt offering. How precious! how precious that innocent animal must have seemed to him this animal is the savior of my son this animal is taking the place of my son on this altar how precious that animal must have seemed that innocent animal. How thankful Abraham must have been that God had indeed provided. Just like Abraham's heart had whispered to him that God would. Abraham became the father of the Hebrew nation. He and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob became a a trinity of patriarchs. God would regularly refer to himself in the years to come as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how the people came to know this God under whose authority they served. The story of Abraham and Isaac on the mountain was told and retold again and again in every Hebrew household year after year and century after century. And the wise men of the faith, the wise men of the faith, the ones with discernment into the the ways of God and the realities of God, surely they knew that there was more to it than just a story of Abraham's incredible faith and Isaac's apparent willingness. Has to be more to the story than just just those, those details. You see, there's power. There's power in those words that go beyond that moment. The words that says, God himself will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. Those words produced the same sense of preciousness and thankfulness and joyfulness in every Hebrew home, every time an innocent animal was offered in the place of those that God loves. This was no glib thing could never be done casually or cruelly. This was God providing the lamb in place of ourselves. This innocent lamb. Every time it became precious in their eyes. It filled them with thanksgiving and with joy. Yes, it no doubt would be said in those Hebrew homes, our God has provided this lamb. Our God has covered our sin with its blood. We rejoice in our cleansing, even as we grieve the loss of its life. And that ever-present grief would lead to a yearning for a more perfect sacrifice. For one, for a sacrifice that would be so precious and so pleasing to God that its one death would be sufficient. Sufficient to rescue all men from the penalty of sin once and for all. And with regularity, with regularity, the Holy Spirit stirred in the hearts of the faithful the substance of a promise of that very thing, that one would come, that God himself would one day provide just such a perfect sacrifice. Hear what the Spirit stirred in Isaiah's heart some 600 years before the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Isaiah 53. Phrases taken from verses 5, 6, and 7. Isaiah's spirit stirrings, we call them. Isaiah wrote, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah knew he was looking years into the future. Had no idea how many. But Isaiah was not reporting on something that had already happened, but he was looking into the future to something that was so surely happening that he could even speak in the past tense. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. The Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities by his wounds, We have been healed. You see, the Spirit of God turned Isaiah's mind to picture a man, not a lamb, whom God would provide. And this man would take the place of the lamb and would somehow take upon himself all sin and bring spiritual healing and health to all who would identify with him. God himself will provide the lamb, a man, a perfect sacrifice. Isaiah refined and expanded the understanding of that promise. And I want you to notice this. Isaiah saw in this promise what I'm calling this morning a backward benefit. A backward benefit. See, though the coming of this lamb who was a man was off in the future, the work accomplished by his sacrifice in the future would bring blessing and spiritual health and healing even to those who had only anticipated his coming. I told you, Isaiah wrote these words 600 years before Jesus came, before Jesus took that place, and yet Isaiah could say, We have been healed. Talking of himself and the people of faith who surrounded him. We have been healed, he wrote. What an insight. And how right he was. Even Abraham himself would be spiritually benefited by the work that the coming lamb, the perfect sacrifice, would accomplish. But who would he be, and when would he come? 600 years. Six centuries. 200 years to the end of the Old Testament, and then between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament is 400 years of silence regarding the redemptive work of God. Four centuries... And the people waited, holding on to words like Isaiah gave them. All that time, passing down the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the offering on the mountain, the promise that God would provide, and they continued to offer their their precious little lambs again and again and again. Knowing that in the sacrifice of this innocent life, their own sins were being covered. When would the better sacrifice come? When would the perfect one come? When would the one come that would bring healing to us all? Well, 600 years indeed would pass. And then came the day, though, when John the Baptist the forerunner of the promised one would make this bold announcement to all who would hear. Standing there in the presence of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist pointed at him and gave this bold announcement. It's recorded in John 1.29. Behold. And now he's not just saying, imagine. Now he's not saying, I'm telling you something God is going to do someday. He's pointing right at the the human being standing in front of them, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Indeed, God did provide the Lamb for the sacrifice. And as Isaiah had pointed out, the Lamb was a man the promise Abraham felt in his heart, and the promise that men and women of faith had yearned for through all the years of the Hebrew people's checkered history has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice. Now the Apostle Peter, taking up a pen at the end of his, uh, his busy life as an apostle for Jesus Christ, the apostle peter sounded a lot like the prophet isaiah when he wrote these affirming words referring to the man who was the lamb it's 1 peter 2:24 peter's affirming words and he wrote he himself speaking of jesus jesus the one that peter walked with for 3 years peter the one that jesus the one that peter observed Jesus, the one that Peter once said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Peter writes these words, he, Jesus, that one, he himself. Sounds like God himself will provide. And Peter throws that in there. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness For by his wounds you have been healed. And Peter says that to all all those who would read his letter, to all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, as the one who paid the price on Calvary for their sins. You see, Peter picked up on Isaiah's words. By his wounds we have been healed. And he used them to encourage the hearts of the believers of his day, as well as all of them. All of us who have read them ever since. Now, I point out to you that Peter, just like Isaiah, was speaking of the spiritual healing that Jesus provides for all who trust in him as their Lord and Savior. He heals our soul. He forgives our sin. He makes possible eternal life. He heals us. You see, Peter had walked with the Lord Jesus for over three years. Peter had seen many, many physical healings. Peter knew that Jesus healed people physically by his words. Rise up. Be healed. Be cleansed. Little girl, I say unto you, arise. And back from the dead she comes. Jesus healed physically by his words. Peter and the other apostles had done the same. Acts chapter 3, verse 6, we see Peter following along in the footsteps of Jesus Christ after the day of Pentecost and at the very beginning of the church, the Lord Jesus has ascended back to heaven and now it's Peter and John who are walking into the temple and here is this this crippled man, this beggar. And Peter looks at him and uses words. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Just as Jesus had said to the paralytic, just as Jesus had said to the little girl, just as Jesus had said to the the mother whose son was being carried out on a funeral by her, rise up. He spoke the word. And it happened, and he demonstrated the incredible power that there was in him. And in those who belong to him. However, Peter knew Jesus healed people spiritually by his wounds. Jesus healed people physically by his words. Jesus healed people spiritually by his wounds. He was as the perfect Lamb of God slain on Calvary. And it was as that perfect Lamb of God that Jesus Christ has healed us from the eternal sickness brought by sin. Oh, praise God. Praise God for the promise and the provision of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ himself. The one whose death was so precious and so pleasing to God that he would declare it to be sufficient. To be sufficient to rescue all men once and for all from the penalty of sin. God had provided the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the Lamb of God who has fully paid for your sins and mine. In later years, when he was the only apostle left alive on the earth, the apostle John got the final look in the scripture at this promised one. We find it, we've read this before, Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, and then verses 11 and 12, John's look At the promised one. This is John's testimony. He says, I saw a lamb. I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne. This is the throne in heaven itself. And I heard the voice of many angels singing, worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. As they gaze upon Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, as they recognize he is the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice, oh, in their mind, and certainly in the mind of God, could you look back and see the thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent little ones whose lives had been taken so that people might be cleansed of their sin? Little ones, little lambs, standing in, in anticipation of the Lamb. Because without the shedding of blood, without the wound that leads to death, there can be no remission for sin. And Jesus came. And Jesus came. And he is now the precious one. He is now the fully acceptable one. No other innocent animal never needs to give its life that you and I, to have our sins covered and forgiven. And I thank God for that. Someday, someday you and I will join that setting in heaven, and perhaps we will even join in that very song, adding our voices to that of the angels praising Jesus Christ. The promise of the ages. So consider with me now our final thought this morning. Our promise of the ages, which is Jesus Christ, and very specifically, is Jesus Christ the perfect sacrifice? Our promise of the ages should, I could say, but let's just say it does. It brings. It brings a sense of joyfulness. Oh, think of Jesus this Christmas season as the perfect sacrifice sent from heaven to accomplish this incredibly wonderful work of God, salvation. It brings a sense of joyfulness and preciousness. if Abraham was pushed to the very limit to offer his earthly son upon that altar, what was it like for the eternal father to send his only begotten son into this world to so suffer and die? Jesus was precious to him. And yet God so loved the world, we are precious to him, made in his own image, the only beings in all the universe made in the image of God, capable of relating to God in a a companionship and fellowship way, if only our brokenness could be made whole. If only our sin could be atoned for. If only new life could come into us. So the Father, looking upon the world that he found precious, would send the Son that he found precious to provide the answer our promise of the ages, Jesus Christ, brings a sense of joyfulness and preciousness and thankfulness. Oh, that should be easy. Thankfulness. Oh, how thankful was Abraham when he could take his son back off that altar. How thankful we ought to be that we are not laced to the altar of God's eternal judgment, where his wrath will fall upon us. How thankful to know we've been taken off that altar and Jesus Christ put in our place. And all the wrath of God's judgment fell on him. And the Father himself, articulated by the Son on the cross, was able to say, and it's finished. No more. No more necessary. All who put their faith in what my offering has accomplished this day will be forgiven of their sins. Will be forgiven of their sins. Oh, I tell you, have you... Have you received that forgiveness? Do you understand... What all is involved there? Can you let yourself be caught up in it? That something awesome was going on. In every of the sacrifices that preceded Christ, something awesome was going on. An innocent life was being given for the guilty. And the guilty was allowed to go free and more than go free, was going to be declared forgiven, even righteous. By his wounds, we've been healed. And God sees us as righteous, spiritually alive, human beings, now not only created in his image, but also in the the very likeness of Jesus himself. Oh, what a promise. What a thing to wrap our hearts and minds around this this Christmas season. Our promise of the ages brings a sense of joyfulness and preciousness and thankfulness every time we remember that he, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb promised and provided by Abba himself. Our Heavenly Father, There's an awesomeness to the things we speak of today. And our words fall so short of what would be sufficient. Father, someday we're going to see Jesus Christ. We're going to see him looking like a lamb who was slain. And in that moment, Father, I have no doubt, we will relive the whole experience. And we will understand that in the, in the justice and perfection of a holy God, there was an altar built once, and we were placed upon it one by one. And on that altar... Death would be required, and the judgment of God would fall. And not only physical death, but eternal death, eternal separation from your goodness, yourself, your love even. For that's the only thing that can separate us from the love of God, and that is the eternal condemnation of God put away in utter darkness. Oh, Father, to think that's what was at stake. That's what is right now at stake for every human being living apart from your grace and goodness. But Jesus came. And by his Holy Spirit, he unbound that which had us bound on that altar. And he freed us. And he laid himself down, and he did not even need to be bound, for he willingly took our place and let all your wrath fall upon him. Not a bit of it left over for us. Oh, Father, if there's anyone in this room that has not received the great, great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on their behalf, may the word of God, may the power of the Spirit just pierce into the deepest part of them, strike fear into them, for what is at stake is, is beyond what they can even comprehend. And say, oh, Jesus... I receive you as my sacrifice, as my substitute. I receive you. I believe in you. Father, I ask you for Jesus' sake, forgive me of my sins and give to me new life. Father, may it be so. And this season of the year, may the word go forth from this place and many places. That Jesus Christ is the promise of the ages. Jesus Christ is the promised Lamb, the perfect sacrifice for us. We pray that his name will be glorified, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.